Many of us have referred to the term a plague of fear, a plague of panic in the past. In the world, uh, there's a plague, there's an epidemic other than COVID-19, and it is a, a, a plague of panic and fear. But I feel a shift in the atmosphere that has happened just in the last few weeks, and unfortunately, it's not a shift toward hope or joy or faith. It's a shift toward hopelessness. I feel that in the air in America. And it's the reason I attached an article to the bulletin today. The article is Christ, not Trump, is the solid rock on which we stand. And I want you to read that because as the video said, we are of heaven. There is a kingdom that we walk in and live in that we, we first identified with. Even before we are Americans, we are first identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to keep that straight. We need to always remember that. I heard someone speaking this last week. I was, I was overhearing the conversation between two others. And they were talking about President Trump. And the one person said, I don't feel that we need a commander-in-chief as much as we need an encourager-in-chief. People say that because of a pervasive sense of uncertainty and hopelessness. So many things happening at once causes us to lose heart. I had another conversation with a member of our congregation this past week. And, uh, and they said, our family feels bombarded by all the things going on in the world. We can't even keep up with it. And, and uh, we, we, it, it, all the things that are happening are just feeling like we're being chipped away at constantly. And that we can't even seem to feel that we have family together times without feeling this sense of um, panic. And without feeling a sense of hopelessness. Riots in the streets we're seeing constantly. Rampant accusations of racism. This is one of the issues that uh, in that book, uh, This Precarious Moment, that you will appreciate reading about. Because these guys, I don't know of any two men. And I know both these guys fairly personally. I've actually been with both of them quite a lot. Jim Garlow and, and David Barton. And these guys have got their act together. I mean, biblically and historically and just in their heart, they are two men that I really, really trust. And I encourage you to, to, to get their book. But the accusations of racism, um, even, even using terms about certain things that overhype it and over-exaggerate it, vigilantism, lawlessness. I'll just take the law in my own hands. I'll do what I feel like doing doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Loss of confidence in our leaders. Loss of confidence in our policemen and women. And the, the, the economic crisis, by the way, that our nation is thrust into. Uh, when I heard this week that there's, there's another consideration of another stimulus check coming to people. And from some of the statistical information, what I'm hearing is that there are people who are finding that just sitting at home and being unemployed and getting checks from the government is the way that they're deciding to just live for now. 
Our nation can't do that. How, I, I can't even think what a trillion is, you know? I, I don't even know what a, a, a thousand billion, I, I, I mean, that's just amazing to me. That's just an amazing thing to me. But you know what? I was thinking also such times and much worse were the reality of the New Testament. The people that lived in New Testament times whose words we read and follow. I was just reading this past week about Nero, emperor of of uh, Rome. He ruled from 54 to 68 AD. That is the time when much of our New Testament was written. And as I read it, I realized that his domination included right where these writings were in the Middle East and Israel. He uh, beheaded his first wife had her head delivered to him, murdered his stepson, kicked his second wife to death while she was pregnant, kicked her to death while she was pregnant, married, eventually married a boy, a young boy, enjoyed making torches of Christians, by covering them with tar, we would say, sap, and hanging them on poles live and lighting them up so that he could ride around in his chariot naked at night and his garden would be lit by them. And at parties, those were the torches that he preferred for his parties. Talk about evil. Talk about a beast times is Nero mentioned by name in the New Testament? Read it all the way through. You'll not find him mentioned. Not one time. You know why? Because God was all about his church and his kingdom, not about Nero. Just an amazing thought that a man that was so evil and it would, would have been in the headline, and especially toward the Christians. I mean, that was, that, that was a big part of his evil heart expressed. And the church apparently just looked at it kind of like Tony Evans. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans says, sinners sin because that's their job description. You know? Yeah. And the church apparently in the New Testament said, it's an evil man doing evil things. That's what evil people do. But that's not going to be the headline of what we write about. That's not going to be the memory that we posit into future generations. We're going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom that endures forever and that you are citizens of heaven. Man, what a, what a group of people we have to draw from. What a cloud of witnesses, as the Bible calls them, that we have to look to as strong, solid people that looked, at the, uh, looked to the Lord rather than the news headlines. We'd better get a piece of that, folks. We'd better get hold of that or we're going to be jerked around all the time. Many are shocked today. I got messages yesterday by email, phone calls, that the governor of California has... Uh, 
made it a mandate, legal mandate in California that there's no singing or chanting in church services. Um, as a person that lived in California for many years, I heard that, but, but I know quite a bit about Kevin Newsom. And he is totally an irreligious man. He has no idea what church is even all about. He has no idea. He doesn't, he doesn't understand the kingdom of God. He has no understanding. I'm not saying he's like a Nero, but I'm saying he has no understanding of church. So for him, it's just another club. It's just some more, it's just some more things that little people do when they get together. And they, they need to stop doing that. He has no understanding of praise and worship. He has no understanding of why we do that. As far as he's concerned, it's just part of our little, it's like the Lions Club get together and they do these certain things and you guys need to stop doing that, that little thing that you do over there. He has no understanding of it. That's what we've got to understand, that we are citizens of heaven. And um, we could be facing that kind of limitation. How? And, and the goalpost keeps moving, have you noticed that? If you go this far, well, you need to go further. And if you go that far, well, you need to go further. And if you go over here, you need to go further. And you need to do this, you need to do that. So I'm focusing this morning on a man, a man in the New Testament in Mark chapter 2 who could have completely lost hope, had every reason to, had every reason to lose hope. But I want you to see how God directed his life and some things that happened that brought him into a place of new possibility instead of hopelessness. And the story's in Mark chapter 2. I want to start with the context, though, of, of what I'm going to talk about. The town of Capernaum was where it took place. The, uh, Capernaum was the, the early hub of Jesus' ministry, right up on the Sea of Galilee, right on the north part of the Sea of Galilee, if you look at a map. There's Capernaum. That's where Jesus called fishermen there because they were fishing in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Peter and Andrew were called there in Capernaum. James and John, his brother, were called there at Capernaum. Um, and Jesus' miracles there began to get the people's attention. They began to, they, he began to get their attention. In uh, Mark 1, 25 through 20, uh, it's up here. Okay, 23 through 25 um, is um, one of the first miracles that happened. It was a demon-possessed man that was set free. You think people are still possessed by demons? Do you think people are still afflicted by demons? Yeah, they are. Yeah. And uh, here's what it says. It says, now there was a man in their synagogue. This is at Capernaum. With an unclean spirit. Notice he was in the synagogue. He was part of the gathering. They read God's Word every time they gathered. They heard messages from the Bible every time they gathered. The man was there. He was part of that. He was in church. What we would say, he was in church. He was part of the gathering of the people there in church where they were reading the Word of God, praying, praying every week and in between time. And he cried out saying, let us alone. That's the, that's the demon voice crying out. I don't know how many of you have ever encountered someone that's demonized and, and speaks in that way. Uh, but I have many, many times. And uh, this is typical of the way demons react to the presence of Jesus Christ in, in the church. Uh, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet 
and come out of him. He didn't have to get all he didn't have to get all lathered up. He didn't have to get all, you know, excited about it. He knew his authority. If we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, we don't have to get all lathered up because some demon manifests or because somebody does something that we think is is wrong or or maybe even really evil. Um, just stand, be firm, be solid. I I, I don't I don't see Jesus. Uh, climbing over a, a, a bench and, and trying to get all dramatic about this man. He just said, be quiet. Come out of him. Come out of him. I've actually learned in dealing with people who are bound demonically that the more you hype and the more you get into the hype of it, the more the demons feed off of that. And the more you are quiet and resolved, the more nervous they become and the more that they draw back, and that you can have imp- and you can have power in that. Then they went to the home of P- after that man was set free. They went to the home of Peter's mother-in-law. That was also in Capernaum. So he came and took her by the hand, and he lifted her up. She was sick, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. She got healed. And she, she served them. She stood up. She began to serve them. That was in Capernaum also. And then in verses 34, 33 and 34, it tells about the result of that. And the whole city was gathered together. This is still at Capernaum. At the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Why don't we pray for the sick more often? Just ask him. Why don't we pray for the sick more often? Did you know some of the people that were healed weren't believers? Did you know that you don't have to get a person saved before they can be healed? Did you know miracles can happen for unsaved people? In fact, it's one of the ways that brings people into the kingdom. Why don't we pray for the sick more often? I pray for sick people a lot of times that are not believers. I've prayed many times, and I know Wally has as well, and Michael has, out in front of Planned Parenthood. We pray for them. They believers? Did I lead them to Jesus? No. Is it still God's will to heal? Does he still want to do miracles for people? Yeah. Yes. Why do we just report COVID-19 and not pray for people? I don't hear many people praying about people. I just hear him doing things. What about praying for people to be healed? I don't hear many reports of people being healed. Makes me kind of wonder about those words of Jesus. Or I'm not sure. Actually, I'm not sure it's Jesus. It might be Paul. Where is the scripture? Some of you guys can help me. When he comes, will he find faith on the earth? Hmm. Remember that? When he comes, will he find faith on the earth? Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? What happens to our faith? There's the drain off. When hopelessness begin to come and all the storm clouds and everything's happening from every direction, what happens to the, what happens to the real churches? We better be a remnant that stands and keeps on standing and praying and being fervent in the word as Judy encouraged us this morning in that communion exhortation. I really appreciated what she shared. She's a woman of the word.
he cast out, go, go back to that, I was going to finish reading that, I'm sorry. And the whole city was gathered together, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He didn't allow the demons to speak because they knew him. And besides that, demons are blabbermouths. Do you know that, I'm, I'm digressing here, but do you, do you know that only one time did Jesus ever ask a demon a question? And that's because he had perfect discernment, and he could discern whether or not a demon was lying. You and I don't have perfect discernment. So don't go around asking demons or asking demonized people questions. Demons lie all the time. The Bible says Satan's a liar and the father of it. Why do we ask demons questions? I've seen people ask demons all kinds of questions and then pray accordingly. My goodness, how off can you be? They lie like crazy. They're blabbermouths. I don't need to hear from any of them. I don't need to hear from any demon. The only thing we need to tell demons is be quiet and go. Just be quiet and go. Then Jesus went to other towns in Galilee. More miracles were happening. And then he came back to Capernaum again. And then in Mark chapter 2 and 1 and 2, we come to this man that I'm focusing on today. It says, and again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. So he's coming back here to Capernaum, and there was a paralyzed man there that had missed the first round of miracles. He had missed the miracle the first time and probably figured he would miss a miracle this time too because all these people are gathered. He's a paralyzed man. Uh, how can he compete with this crowd and get to Jesus? And he probably just thought simply, no miracle for me. No miracle for me. I'm, I'm going to be left out because I can't compete with these people. I can't, I can't get there where he's at because there's all this crowd of people and they're all aggressive and I, I'm, I'm paralyzed. I, I just can't compete with this. See, this man represents millions of people in the world. He represents millions of people who have heard about God's miracles, maybe even seen miracles. They've read about miracles in the Word. Uh, they, they've believed for miracles and prayed for miracles, but they feel that they've been passed over. You ever feel like you've been passed over? Like you hear testimonies, God did this and God did this for me. And, and man, I got down to the bottom and I just gave this and then God poured out blessing on me and I was able to pay all my bills. And you did that and, and you just became 10% poorer. Yeah, that's all that happened to you. You just became 10% poorer. You ever had great testimony? Ever heard great testimonies about fasting and praying? People say, man, I fasted uh, I fasted, and I'm telling you, during that time, God showed me some things, and it changed my life. And I, was, I came out of that time of fasting with a new anointing. You fast and pray, and all you get is visions, visions of pork chops and gravy and mashed potatoes. And you got visions, all right, but no empowerment, no gifts. Just suffered. You ever fasted and just got hungry? Oh, man. I remember one time... When Gene and I were fasting, boy, I mean, I, I was so hungry. And I remember walking through the kitchen one time, and there, there was a cucumber laying there on the counter. Now, a cucumber isn't going to be a great meal for you, right? I mean, you don't look, you usually look at a cucumber, and, you're, and you don't salivate. I'm telling you, I looked at that cucumber, and it looked like, it looked like a steak laying there. 
I mean, I could have eaten that cucumber just, just like it was seeds, just, just man, just eating it. I, I remember looking at that cucumber. You know, when you're, not, when you're not fasting, a weenie is just a weenie. But when you're fasting, when you're really hungry, you look at a weenie, that's a weenie. Well, I'm telling you, that's serious. That's serious food, you know. <laughs> you ever feel like you get passed over? Like everybody else having these wonderful experiences and they get healed and they get blessed and they get financially blessed and you sacrifice and you do the right thing and you pay your tithe and you just get 10% poor. God goes, bless, 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 skip, bless, bless, and you're the, you're the skip. You've got an X over your life. There are probably millions in the church today who have actually never seen a miracle, never seen anyone healed. Uh, what I'm talking about, somebody setting for, being set free of demonic oppression, never seen it, never seen a, a, a demon cast out, never seen a message in tongues, which happens here from time to time. I can't remember the last time, but... Perhaps, perhaps even never seen anyone, uh, what word would I use? Maybe dramatically saved so that there's such a difference in their life that it's clearly miraculous. Because what so many people will tell you is, uh, yeah, they supposedly got saved, but five years later I found they were in the same place they were before. Yeah, they went to Christ for the nations and they really were zealous for the Lord, but Later on, I found out they were just uh, they they were out there living in sin and didn't follow the Lord. See that that's what a lot of people will talk about. Didn't work, and many feel helpless about getting into God's presence and having that miracle encounter that they feel they need so desperately. And it's the heart expressed in Psalm 42. Listen to Psalm 42. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is your God? Mm, yeah. A spirit of hopelessness begins to come. A spirit of hopelessness says, Where is your God? Where's God now? Where's God when you need Him? Where's God when you need help? Well, you know, I guess He's forgotten about you. Blessed all those other people, but not you. But you know what? Think of all those flaws you've got in your life. Oh, yeah, all those flaws, all those bad things you've done. Mm, no miracles for you, no biscuit for you. But listen to this. This man could have felt completely hopeless, but he had friends who believed. Those friends to me, represent the church, what the church is supposed to be. We all need friends like these four guys. Listen to what it says. They came to him, to Jesus, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, where Jesus was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. They demonstrate what the church is supposed to be. They believed in God, but they also believed in this man. And they believed he was worth it. He was worth it. When you're, you're paralytic, you can't keep up with the crowd. 
You can't keep up with others. You begin to feel like you have no value. Listen, there is a spirit of suicide today in our world that is so dark and so heavy in some people's lives. You might be amazed and you might not be amazed. I'm not because I deal with people so much. But you might be amazed at how many people that you think are good, solid Christian people that seriously consider suicide as an option. It is a dark spirit that can make you feel like life is so hopeless that I just cannot bear it anymore. So number one was, they believed this man was worth it. And secondly, they were willing to invest time and effort in him. They were willing to be inconvenienced by this man. Making this bed for him. We might say a travoy that they pull or carry around. Making this bed thing for him and then seeing the problems and getting up on the roof and tearing it out and letting him down. All of that was not easy. You know what, family? Somewhere we have to stop thinking what's going to be easy for me and start asking what's right for me. Not just what's easy, but what's right. We just go by ease. We're always going to live in our comfort, and we are not going to be doing the will of God. The church has to start doing what's right instead of what's easy. I think of that every time I stand out in front of Planned Parenthood. I was telling Judy the other day, I said, I said one of the best things about standing out there on the sidewalk in, front, in front of Planned Parenthood is that I have no title, I have no nothing. I'm just an old white guy out there holding a sign, waving at people. That's all. They don't know me. And that's good for me. It's good for me to be in that place. Even when I am cursed, even when I am ridiculed, it's good for me to feel that because that's the church doing things that are not easy to do. I'm not going to pull out some card and say, you can't, you can't do that. You can't call me that. I'm a pastor. I'm never going to do that. If they ask me who I am, I'll say, Gary, that's who I am. On that sidewalk, I'm just an old white guy holding a sign. By the way, I don't know if you felt this or not, Michael, because I know you and I held those new signs for the first time. The new signs say, Black Lives Matter beginning in the womb. And I'm telling you, on Friday, when I held that sign, I felt the anointing of the Holy Spirit in what I was holding. I really did. And as people passed, almost, this was unusual. I, I watched. Almost every person who passed was a black person. I mean, almost everyone. I, only a couple of exceptions in the, in the hour that I was out there. Almost everyone. I, and I know that's a neighborhood. That's a black neighborhood, but almost everyone was a black person that drove past. And I got a different response, and I looked at their eye, and I held my sign. I looked at their eye, and they looked at it, and I stopped the question, 
in their mind as they were looking at it. They didn't curse me. I, I didn't get a single, now I think others, you might. I mean, I, I will in the future, I'm sure. Point was, um, they just looked away. It's almost like it presented a question that they didn't have an answer to. That's how I felt, Michael. I, I don't know if you felt that or not. I felt like it presented a prospect. They'd never thought about that before. They never thought about that's the black lives that matter also in the womb. I really felt the Lord was in it. I mean, and, and by the way, if somebody wants to be out there with us regularly, I'll have one made for you. I'll, I'll have one of them made for you, so just let me know. But not just for a one-shot thing. I mean, if you're willing to come out regularly, and that doesn't mean every week, maybe. doesn't mean all the time. You may not come out as often as, as Wally and Michael do or some others. But um, if you want to come out regularly, we'll make you a sign that can say something powerful for you. It's not easy. It's not easy doing the right thing. Sometimes you just stand there with a sign. And that's all you do, and it's not easy to just have people walk past and flip the finger at you or curse you. It's not easy. Is it right? All I have to do is think about those babies. Absolutely right. I'm going to stand there for those babies because the Bible says they have no voice to cry out for themselves. Also, these men were creative and they were persistent. They didn't just look at the obvious and say, oh, well, we're out of luck. You know, there's a big crowd and he's inside that house and hey, can't do it. Looks like we may as well just hang it up for today. They looked at the problem and then they said, what are some other options? What are some ways we can? They looked at option two and three and four and they looked at the ways to get, to get this problem solved, to find a solution. We all need friends like these guys. We need a church like these guys. People that don't just look and say, well, I guess you've got a problem. I don't know. But instead, got an option and say, you know what? I, I think I can do this. Can you do this if I do this? What about that? Now, notice this in verse 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Whose faith did Jesus see? He saw the faith of the four men that were carrying him. It was the faith of the church. And then he spoke to the man. This is what I call, this is true friendship. It's what I call identity friendship. It's when I am so willing to be your friend that I will identify with you. I will experience your pain with you. I will fight your battles with you. I will feel what you feel. And I will take the time to hear you so I'll know what you feel. I think most of us don't want to be inconvenienced with listening. We want to speak. We want to tell other people what to do. We want to tell them, uh, here's, how, here's how you solve your problem. Here's what you need to do instead of just listening. Sometimes we need to just tell ourselves, be quiet and listen. Be quiet and listen. And I'll tell you, the kind of friendship that these guys exhibited is priceless. It is golden. 
because it is very, very rare. It is very rare. And Jesus honored their faith. Now, what an unusual thing for Jesus to do here. He honored their faith. He didn't heal the man that they had brought, but he forgave his sin. Interesting, huh? You know what this speaks of, I think? I think it speaks of God's priority. Get the inside right, and then the outside will get right also. Listen to uh, Matthew 23, 26. Blind Pharisee first cleansed the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Get the inside right so the outside can be right. See, sometimes we want, um, we, we want revival or we want healing or we want miracles. But sometimes God works on the inside of the church first. And He wants to bring us to a heart that is humble and flexible and repentant. You notice I did not say weak. I did not say vacillating. I didn't say that. I said humble and flexible and repentant. So what's the deal with the inside? We say, Lord, I just want to walk. And he says, I want to teach you how to live. Lord, I want to, I, I want to run. And he says, I want you to be whole. You know the term that's used in the old King James a couple of times in Jesus' ministry. They were made every whit whole. W-H-I-T, every whit whole. The meaning of that is they were made whole all the way through. They were made whole through and through. So we are a three-part being, spirit and soul and body. They were made whole all the way, not just in their physical body, but in their soul and in their spirit they were made whole all the way through. That's the level of healing that the Lord wants to draw the church to, wants to draw every one of us through. through. Because when we have an outer work without an inner work, the first storm that comes along, we're going to implode. You know that? If you just have a, an exterior here and you just get everything right on the exterior, but the inside isn't right, first time, the, the next storm that comes along, you're going to just cave in because you didn't have the infrastructure built. When our hearts are healed, we're no longer ruled by circumstances. Our environment is not the final determiner of how we walk or how we live. It doesn't mean we're some kind of Stoics. Stoics were a, a religious group. They just denied reality. If, if the dog got ran over by a car, they just said, the dog's dead. If your husband or your wife got killed... You just said, they got killed. Stoics just denied emotions. and that, That's not what the Bible calls us to. We don't deny reality and call it faith. A lot of faith teaching just calls us to deny reality and call it faith. That's not faith. We simply walk in a quiet hope that is indefatigable. I, I love that word, indefatigable. It just keeps going. It's just steady. 
It just doesn't stop. Also, you feel like you're almost talking in tongues when you say it, indefatigable, like that. Now for the final step. Jesus had honored the faith of this man's friends. He honored the faith of the church. But now he required actions of faith on the part of the man. It always comes down to that. So in verse 11, it says that Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your home. See, his friends couldn't do that for him. Understand that? His friends couldn't do that for him. The church can bring you to a place, but there's a place where you've got to do some things yourself. You've got to have individual faith. You have to take your own actions of faith. Mom and dad can carry a young person so far. But then there's a point at which you have to take steps. Friends can carry us so far and help us like these four men did. But there's a point at which God says, you have to take up your bed and you have to walk and carry your bed. These friends couldn't have the individual faith that this man had to have. Group faith can carry you. I often say the church standing together, sometimes you, you don't have the faith, but other people around you will. And that's one of the reasons that we, we lock together with one another. That's the reason we get connected with one another because sometimes my faith's going to be weak and your faith's going to be strong and I need that at that moment. But there's going to come a time when I have to walk it out myself. When I have to take the steps of faith. And nobody else can do that for me. And regardless of what the problem is, whether the problem is uh, a physical infirmity like this man's problem was, a dysfunctional family, maybe, an attitude that rules us, perhaps, an addiction, bad thoughts, hopelessness. Somewhere we have to get hold of that verse in Psalm 42. I read from Psalm 42 earlier. And that verse, that verse 5 in Psalm 42 says, and I want you to read this out loud with me. Let's read it together. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance the help of his personal touch in my life. Hope in God. It's never hopeless because God's always in charge and his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. That means it never quits.